0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Welcome to Weekend Gardening with your host, the Empress of Everything Green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mamas on the radio now to answer your questions and
1: call you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome into weekend gardening. My goodness. You gotta love it when you're right, you know. What did I tell you? I said enjoy those cool days because they weren't going to last. Sure enough, the fair is here so it's a little bit cool at night. But guess what folks? We are back into the September averages as opposed to the October averages all across the southeast. And indeed, if it didn't rain in where you are, which fortunately, where I am, it's not. But the eastern part of the southeast has been very, very wet. Flash floods, terrible problems. So it's even hot there. That You'd think they'd get a break. No, not in fact. So what does that do for your garden? gives you a little bit of time to get those plants ready to bring them indoors. It gives you a little bit of time to practice watering and preparing covers because you might need a little shade on a few things if you've just put out some lettuce and perhaps it's going to be 90 degrees at your house. I don't know. You might need a little bit of shade cloth on something. But it's a time that we've got to work. It's, it's not bad weather. And compared to July, it's actually quite pleasant. Now, why did I tell you all that? I tell you all that because my name's Nellie Neal. I'm known as the Garden Mama. This is Weekend Gardening. And frankly, more than anybody else, farmers watch the weather. But right next to them are the gardeners. So here we are. All right. Yes, I had a friend years ago. I said gardeners watch the weather the most. And I had a friend who's a farmer that said, no, no, no. I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to see if what I found out at midnight is still true. Okay, I don't do that. (laughs) But you can, and you can tell me about it, 888 That is the Supertalk call line, always available to you when I am here. And the C Spire text line also, 601-879-4395. I, uh, I've, I've not wondered too many times in my life what it's like to be Leonardo DiCaprio, but it's one of those things that you might consider what would it be like well, I don't know, but I have a feeling they created this acronym at the California Institute of Technology just in order to have Leonardo the bipedal robot mm-hmm that's right he can ride a skateboard mm-hmm that's right why would we want to name well because it's a more I'm sorry for my dear friend but it's a whole lot sexier name than say Bruce I love you Bruce but it's it's definitely not the one. Here's the deal. Leonardo, and they really had to bust this up to get Leonardo out of this. Legs on board, L-E O-N A-R-D, or LEO for short, can hop, can ride a skateboard. This is from Caltech Center for Autonomous Systems and Technologies, which is known as CAST. So, of course, it has an acronym also. Anyway... The funniest part about this, um, reporting in Science Robotics, the funniest part for me is this quote. We drew inspiration from nature. (laughs) No, you didn't. (laughs) I mean, you did, but this is a robot. You created this. Anyway, think about the way birds are able to flap and hop to navigate telephone lines. So basically, they were trying to go to a movement between walking and flying, which is why this is a different kind of locomotion, which is what sets leonardo apart from all the rest of them and probably is why he can ride a skateboard see that sort of knowledge wouldn't come to you just from anywhere somebody else might tell you about the guy grabbing the alligator in the recycle bin but nobody else is going to tell you about the bipedal robot from caltech i have to keep you up to date on these things speaking of things that we need to be up to date on i have been Well, if you hear a loud noise, and it isn't me groaning too much, it's probably going to be this little piece of a baffle that has been at my place for a long period of time, so long that it has been shored back up two or three times. It's got to come down. It's got to go. And the noise it's going to make is incredible, in part because my neighbors have stacked up stuff on the other side of it, and they're not going to like it when (laughs) the bare baffle comes down. But... Anyway, it's my baffle. i got to take it down. It's it's bowed in part from all that. So I've been looking at materials. I've been looking at um, what I'm going to do. Do I want more air circulation? Do I want less view? All of the things that we do in our gardens when we're putting up a baffle or when we're remaking one, as I'm doing here. The posts are still there. They're pretty much in a straight line. I think that they can be salvaged. But the fencing itself, the baffling, has some real problems, and it was... You know me. Use it up. Recycle it. Carry it on. This came from a movie set years ago. So they've already been through two or three lives in terms of fence. And they will have another use as a backdrop as a single panel probably, just not in this place. But when you consider what you're going to do with stuff, um, about oddly enough, 7%, I don't know how they get to these numbers, but they, they, they're they better at math than I am, about 7% of the world's carbon dioxide emissions come from the manufacturing use of cement, because we, we build concrete, you know, cement's part of that, we, we build the world out of all of that. And in this particular case, they're working um, at the University of Tokyo, trying to Mimic another case where we're inspired by nature, but they're trying to mimic those aquatic organisms that harden into fossils over time. Um, Of of course, I immediately think of diatomaceous creatures, but but the diatoms, but there are others. There's plenty of other stuff. So this particular scientist wondered if the same process that makes that hard calcium carbonate could actually be applied to concrete, and now the work is being done to use recycled concrete, introducing CO2 from the air, and actually using less, creating less, and making a much better product, apparently. That's always the battle, you know. Um, it's not enough for us to make a better another product. We've got to make a better one if we're going to do it, or it's not worth the time and energy. I keep talking about, you know, electric trucks that you can poke, plug your ha- house into. Now that's an innovation. <laughs> that, my friends, will get everybody's attention in no time at all. One of the things going on in my garden this week has been all the red spider lilies. I really do think that a very, very wet um, spring helped them. I know they were there. I moved some into one particular spot, but there's never been two dozen. There's always been five or six. And now this year they're all up and growing. It's just been beautiful, wonderful, wonderful opportunity to see things. We don't necessarily like it when everything is so wet as it was in the spring Think about leaf spot on hydrangea. Think about some things that just literally went belly up because their root zones got too saturated. But at the same time, we have the opportunity to enjoy some things now. And in the case, for example, I had someone just sent me pictures of their pumpkins that are twice the size they were. She said, I just literally took the reservoir attitude that I, I promote here, put the reservoir into the ground next to the pumpkin and kept it full of water and fertilizer all summer the pumpkins are twice the size they ever have been. You can't really do that in a commercial situation, but that's partly why gardening is so much fun. You know, you see those folks that it's a pumpkin farmer, but he only takes the one that fits on the flatbed to the contest because they only have enough time and energy to actually feed one to that point. So that's what people are doing here, and and we've, we've enjoyed that. She said it just seemed like her – I think she was talking about um, – sweet peas or some flower, anyway, that had gotten so much larger in the wet spring, so she decided she was going to really water this pumpkin. Well, the same can be said, I saw a stand um, this week of loofah gourds. Um, I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't grown loofah gourds in a very long time, but I probably ought to give them a try. They're fun, they're easy, they take hot weather, and they literally, with the more water and fertilizer you give them, the more loofahs you're going to get out of them. They're very responsive, pretty nifty. 888 808 is the Super Talk call line. We look forward to hearing from you there today. I, uh, I love things that are... Guess what everything all those books you just may as well toss them out all those encyclopedia entries are going to have to be rewritten because everything you knew about something is probably wrong and indeed, I learned, and you probably did too, that at the base of the earth in the center was not a a soft you know soft marshmallow or something. it was a hard iron center we heard we understand that they tested that they told us that. Well, it is actually iron, but some of it's mushy. University of Hawaii at Manoa is letting us know that indeed that solid inner core is partly filled with a range of liquid, soft, and hard iron structures that really do vary. Now, this is 150 miles, um, the, the top 150 miles of it. They haven't gone farther than that to find out, but I really like the name of the researcher at this. His parents must have had a great sense of humor. Rhett Ber- Brett Butler, a, a geophysicist at the University of Hawaii. I never call out these people's names. But if you're going to name your kid Rhett Butler, we're all going to have to call out your name. I'm sorry. Anyway, this is, um, they're suggesting the solid, quote-unquote, inner core is, in fact, not solid. So what they've done is to measure things. Um, the earthquake waves are really the only thing that reach that deep. And certainly, University of Hawaii is the perfect place to study earthquake waves, so that's what they've been doing. Um, I I really like the way that he describes the, the stark contrast to the homogeneous iron alloys considered in all Earth models up to this point. I'm paraphrasing here. But now it's not so much. There are regions of very hard, regions of very soft, and regions of actually liquefied or, in fact, mushy areas in the core. I don't know what this means, but I'm sure that the implications are right there about geomagnetic the, the fields and stuff. There's got to be some something that they'll be able to uh, ascertain from that. We also have to go back sometimes and revise what we learned even in more recent history. The 2011 Texas drought was terrible. We all can agree on that, but now that they've looked at the data, it's worse than they thought it was. Oh, no. <laughs> you never like to know that. UT Austin, though, is not going to make this stuff up. Um, they, they're they publishing because of the concerns that they have for how to cope with the next one. In doubt, Undoubtedly, there will be a next one. And soil moisture, of course, goes directly to so many things, um, not only to the implications for agriculture but also for home building and you know how 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 you do stuff how you make a how you fix a bridge how you do all those things have to do with soil moisture so i really do appreciate that they're working on this but even though it's been a decade ago the, getting these resources together to understand the data pulling all that together has really made a great deal of difference in the way they look at the future in part because now that they understand that they lost more than $7 billion in crops and livestock. That's not to say that they didn't have it and they would have had it. That's ones they had that got killed by the drought, okay? This is not a projection. Then then you talk about the wildfires. Then you talk about the power grid, and oh, my goodness, not enough reservoirs to make up for all of that. So pretty incredible, um, difficult situation in 2011. And, yes, they are still studying it, and they're coming to some conclusions because, let's face it, if it happened 10 years ago, it's going to happen again. There's there's no question. Hopefully they'll be able to come up with some interventions that will make sense. And I, I don't know what they are. They don't seem to know either, but they're, um, they're certainly kind of in the same boat, I guess, as Californian, wishing that we would send some of the eastern half of the United States water <laughs> towards the west at some point. it would be kind of tough to do, though. Um, the, yes, there's an old movie involved there. There certainly is. Interestingly, um, there there's so many things that we don't know about until they happen, and then we have to study them for a long time to understand how they worked. I'm um, I'm kind of I'm looking at my neighbor's crepe myrtles, which are well, let's just say that crepe myrtle bark scale is not unknown. in in this particular stand. But there are seedling crepe myrtles from that stand that have come up in my flower bed, one of which is absolutely determined to grow there. I've taken it out, dug it up, cut it down. Repeatedly, it still comes up. And it is not affected at all. So I don't know if it's a hybrid problem. It's not. We've seen it on some of the the regular. But I don't know what the parent is of these particular trees. So I can't advise you. I can just tell you that when you see a problem like crepe myrtle bark scale, do not be distressed. Figure that there's another crepe myrtle that's going to do better there, and you'll find it. You'll, You'll find it. Same thing's true about camellias. We're starting to see... From the southern part, coastal communities, and and coming on up that way through Zone 9 and into 8B, we're seeing the camellias, the Sasanqua camellias, beginning to bloom. They're absolutely gorgeous this year. Again, because we had plenty of water in the springtime and in most of the summer in most places. But if you go out to check on your camellias, I was looking at one yesterday, and the, the leaves do look a little bit pale. They're not really dusty other than it hasn't rained in a week, you know, on that particular plant. But be sure that you look underneath the leaf, because this is the time when you will see the de- evidence of the insects that have been there. You might see some webs underneath it. Um, you, you you need to use, if you're going to do something right now while the buds are on, particularly if they're starting to open a little bit, and you want to try and get a grip on any of the insects that are there. Give yourself a chance to use some pyrethrin in a spray or a an insecticidal soap, but do it in a small spray. Don't spray the whole bud and everything else. Spray the leaf and spray particularly the underside of it. You'll be glad that you did. If you have not been watering your camellias or your, your Sasanqua camellias particularly, the japonicas need it too. Um, but if you've, if you've not been watering them and it doesn't rain where you were living, this is the time of year to really be concerned with getting them enough water so that those flower buds can go ahead and give you all they've got. One of the saddest things that I have to endure sometimes in my garden, there's a Sasanqua that blooms, but it's, it's not a well-cared-for plant. That's my fault. Um, however, it'll bloom and it'll be beautiful for a day, but then the flowers shatter. And I know that if I did a better job of watering and fertilizing it, Short of a thunderstorm, those flower petals would last a little bit longer i, I hope that you have that um, hope you have that experience um, what I, What are my thoughts on the food forest way of planting, and is that possible in a Mississippi climate? This is from Caldonia actually, it is there are, There are people that are doing this um, the the food forest concept is a more integrated way of planting, and i don 't know how feasible it is on a large scale. But it certainly has a few acres in in applicable use. Uh, We can talk about that. We can talk about some other things in that regard as to different ways to put your garden together. I think it's important, especially this time of year, when we're thinking about it, weather's good enough, we can actually go out and do it. Here's a quote for you. State fairs are the confluence of the garish and the profound. I like the state fair. I like county fairs. I really like state fairs. Texas State Fair is quite an experience. If you ever get a chance, do that one too. But don't miss the state fair in your own state. Mississippi State Fair is here, and I'm kind of going for a corned beef egg roll. What do you think? Stick around. Let's get right and come right back here for more weekend gardening.
3: This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD.
4: Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association and Work.
2: Jones Sign Company would like to salute all healthcare and first responders for putting your life on the line to help so many. You are the true heroes. Johnny Jones and the crew salute you. Thank you from Jones Sign Company.
6: Big Pop invites you to the Capital City Gun Show this weekend, Saturday, October the 9th. Show hours will be 9 to 5. Sunday, October 10th. Show hours will be 10 to 5. There'll be plenty of buying, selling, trading, gun appraisals. All federal, state, local laws must apply. And this fall, we're adding football to the big screen to see. I-55 South, Elton Road exit at the Wahhabi Shrine Temple. Adult admissions $8. Kids 6 to 11 $2. See y'all this weekend at the Capital City Gun Show.
7: It's coming! Start the car! What are you waiting
4: for? I knew I should have gone to Mazda of Jackson!
0: Get rid of that creepy old car you've been driving around in and upgrade to a new vehicle. During our model year clearance at Mazda of Jackson, all the 2021s must go. And we're giving you amazing savings on every last one of them. Get 0.9% financing for 36 months on all new Mazdas. That's 0.9% on every new Mazda in stock. This will save you thousands in finance charges. Plus, get your first year of oil changes on us with every new Mazda purchase. You can buy with confidence with a 20-year, 250,000-mile warranty from Mazda of Jackson. Is your credit history scary? (laughs) Our credit team will work to get you approved no matter how many skeletons are in your closet. (laughs) Bring in your current vehicle and we'll give you the best possible price for it, no matter how creepy it is. So get to Mazda of Jackson today, where nobody walks away because everybody saves. I-55 French Road North in Jackson. Call 991-2222 today, MazdaofJackson.com. See dealer for details with approved credit on select mods.
8: Research shows moving is one of life's most stressful events, but thanks to two men and a truck, Ridgeland, it doesn't have to be. We have everything you need, a professional team who will customize your move, a schedule to fit your convenience Monday through Saturday, and all of the necessary moving supplies, including free padding and stretch wrap to protect your belongings. Don't stress. Let Two Men in a Truck handle your home or business moving needs. Visit twomenandatruck.com for a free no obligation estimate.
1: Welcome into Weekend Gardening. Thank you so much for deciding to put me in your ear today or whatever your day you're listening. You might be listening to the rebroadcast on a Sunday. You might be putting in a podcast or you might be downloading from supertalk.fm and, you know, just carrying me around with you because you got something you want to learn about and you know a little bit of it at least is going to be gardening. So thank you very, very much for that. A little bit more on the notion of the food forest. I've never said that I do that, but my property is essentially that way. I try not to plant things that don't have at least dual use in terms of wildlife sustaining and people sustaining. I like flowers because I think they do sustain our hearts and our minds, and sometimes we can eat them. But it's also a way of sustaining the pollinators that get to the other things. So the whole idea of a food forest is that you use the space consciously to use the woodlands, but also to make sure that your your additions are things you can eat and, frankly, perennial vegetables. Now, that's what brings me to the hardest part for Mississippi. We don't have all that many perennial vegetables. We do grow asparagus here very, very well. We can grow horseradish okay. We can grow a lot of herbs perennially, but we do an awful lot more annual cropping because our summers and winters are both so good for different things. Um, just something to think about. <laughs> something to think about. Uh, by the way, I'm I'm in the process of taking apart the big log garden in the back end, and uh, there's a lot growing in there, a lot more than I thought. Let's see. Mary from Clinton wants to know, after putting the winterizer on the yard, do you have to water it? I'm going to read the product label. It may tell you to do that, or it may indicate that you shouldn't. It, there, there's different ones. Most of them don't want to be put on a dry lawn, but very few of our lawns have been all that dry lately, So, especially in Clinton. So I, I would just check the label for specifics, though. Um, that's pretty, Mike. What you doing? Put Mike up on here. Hey, Mike. What's going on, Mike? Well,
9: I'm yard selling right now, and people are looking at me kind of funny, but I don't care. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, here this year, I've been obsessed with black-eyed Susans. Yes. And it's much more flowers than the black-eyed Susans are popping up in the air right now. Mm-hmm. And I just sent you a picture of... Uh, that one's perennial. Stick
1: this one is perennial sunflower. It's the helianthus, and I love, love, love this plant because you got room for it. One got loose in my yard, and it was not a good experience. I'm still finding it coming up places it doesn't need to be. But if you got room for this thing's about six feet tall, isn't it? This bush, the whole thing that they're on. It's a beautiful plant,
9: and up. Also I got I found some a little smaller but they got a little tiny, tiny, tiny stem. Almost like a, like a like a uh, uh like a uh, vine almost. But they, well
1: there's uh, some thread like ones that look like black eyed Susan's but they are um they're not actually Rudbeckia, which is the family of this. It, it's a there's some in the Solidago, there's some in the sunflower family, and there's also some over in even in the Echinacea family that look like this. There's some beautiful plants. that just we're we have to understand that the Black-eyed Susan probably should have been the flower of the South. I know it's all about the magnolias, you know, and all this stuff, but we grow these better and more of them than than just about anything else. But there are different plants that all look kind of like this. You're looking at Coriopsis when you're looking at real, real thin, thin stems a lot of times, and that's it's another lovely late summer flower, just beautiful.
9: True. Also, step number two, question number two uh, mosquito plant, the, uh, citronella. Citronella? Mm hmm. Okay, uh, when should I plant that? I got seeds.
1: I think it needs to be established in warm weather, so you probably don't want to plant those until early spring and then set them out in the garden when it gets warm. They may become perennial where you live, but I don't think they can start that way. I think you need to start them in the warm weather.
9: In other words, tomatoes planting time.
1: Yeah, something like that.
9: Okay, I'll have it on my schedule. I'll put it on my phone right now. All righty. And you're doing a fantastic job. And also, we we mentioned that special you've got going on on your website, the, or your uh, your thing. Isn't it free for the rest of the year if you if subscribe? Yes, if, or... you, if
1: you subscribe now to the All Things Garden Mama Weekly. Thank you, Mike. If you subscribe now, you'll get it through the end of the year. That your actual subscription will actually start in January. You won't be asked to subscribe again until December of 2022. Mama on air at yahoo dot com. M A M A on air at yahoo dot com. Get in touch with me, and I'll be more than happy to set that up. I am getting quite a few, um, and I thank you for mentioning it. Onions, it's next. See you later. Mm-hmm. Bye now. now. <laughs> yeah, onion acres is doing pretty well. I have to tell you, um, the the shallots. I think the shallots are going to have to get moved. I've been growing them in a grow box but they're now over. They're literally overwhelming it, so I'm, I'm going to have to give them some more space. Um, but The parsley's doing well. The radishes are okay. They're only okay. The radishes, I, I, I grow radishes, and I sometimes they're ha- I'm happier with them than others. I don't know what that's all about because they're essentially the same thing, but they're, they're a little bit wimpy in some of them. It is a mix of radishes, but I just don't think all of them are going to do as well as some of them. Some of them are perfect. But some of them are not. Um, Is there another crop of blackberries in our future this year? I don't think so, but I'm not going to say no, because so many things have come around and done something else. Um, I would be surprised if there were blackberries, but um, I wouldn't be shocked. (laughs) The good news is they'll be there next year for sure, whether whether you have any now or not, certainly. Well, the top of my news in the you know, gardening takes guts world is something that we've known and something that all the other stories, the stack that I have now is about an inch thick of just the, the stories since the beginning of the pandemic about your gut and what it takes to, to keep your internal biome in good shape. Michigan State University is letting us know about the enteric nervous system that's in your guts, and in fact, they're referring to it as the second brain. We have known as human beings all our life. You you say, "Man, I could just feel it in my gut. I, I just knew it in my in my gut that this or that was right. I I I I really took that emotion. I felt it in my gut. Okay, but it's actually not. A, it's not something that we just imply or think, but we do indeed have this huge enteric nervous system that has so many things that can surprise us, and now that we're able to do the research, um, like they're doing at Michigan State, we can find out a lot more about the independence of this system. Um, You know, we've always had the understanding that there were voluntary and involuntary parts of our bodies, things that, that just worked, thankfully, until they didn't, but things that just worked and And we were understanding now more about how those things do work, and a lot of that the the neurons the the helia that that are in our gut are actually much much more numerous than we thought. in fact, we have more in our gut than your cat has in their brain, all right? Nobody tell my cat he thinks he's the smartest thing in the world. Sam, you're in pearl. let's talk about your grapes. what's going on?
10: Yes, tell me why you knit ever see any uh, muscadines and grapes in the woods.
1: Well, you see them on the edge of the woods, because muscadines generally need a little more sun than a dense wooded area would provide for them.
10: Okay, you've answered my
1: question. (laughs) Well, good. Thank you. Let me feel smart today. I appreciate that. Same thing's true of oak leaf hydrangeas. They're one of those plants that you see at the edge of the woods, but you don't see them down in the de- in the deep because they can't get enough sun to grow there. Um, I, I have to tell you, I don't have any any muscadines at my house anymore. I do have the 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 berry that came to me, the the grapes that came to me from Starkville, which are possum grapes, which are fixing to go out to a farm. Okay, they're they're going to find a new home. But this morning there was a little possum in the trash can making all kinds of noise outside my house, couldn't get out. Got in there, I don't know how he got in there, but probably came down off the line or off one of the tree branches and just got in there and couldn't get out. There wasn't anything in there to eat, so it wasn't that interesting. But my goodness, what a lot of noise. We sure do make, we we name things like possum grapes. Not necessarily because the possums eat them, although I'm sure they would. But we associate things in different ways um that are that to me are just amusing. And and I'm I'm I still don't know why these things are called possum grapes. <laughs> I really don't know. Coming in on the C Spire text line, six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. Oh let's see if we know who this is. Um I don't know who this is. Well, anyway, we're just going to say that it's Bobby from Bentonia. I don't know who, who this is or where they are. You have gripeweed. Welcome to my world. Gripeweed is this particular little plant. It's also called chamber bitter. You'll see it referred to that way. Um, and it gets underneath every one of those leaves, the, the leaves come out in, in along the stem. Individually, they're pinnate. All right, is the term for that. And they, they underneath every one of those, there's a yellow seed. And every one of those becomes forty thousand more plants, which is why they're so hard to get rid of. They have a very good germination rate. I use a pre-emerge to um, control them in the bed, but I still have it around the edges of the bed, where where they they had been where they they used to be in the entire bed. Uh, I pull it out. You can pull it out, burn it off, spray it down, do whatever you want to do, but get it down, mow it, trim it, whatever you're doing, but get it out before it goes to seed and then put down a pre-emerge to control it because that's really the best way you're going to get it, unfortunately. Um, That's true. Where a tree falls in the woods, you'll often find these plants. That's true because a little sunlight shaft comes in. You're absolutely right. That is indeed correct. Um, oh, I was thinking about Black-Eyed Susan. Somebody sent me a picture this week, or no, last week, I guess, of a garden that they wanted to save seeds from, and then somebody else talked to me about that. I so enjoyed speaking at Crystal Springs on Thursday. I had to zoom in, but it was really a lot of fun. I'm, I'm in hopes that everyone had a good time. Great educational sessions all week long, and the perhaps the, the best of that gets directly to those, the questions of how to save seeds and which ones to save. Um, I have, I've told y'all several times about using black-eyed seed heads to sprinkle those seeds around, but it's also true of Stokes' asters and many, many plants that we can do that with. But if you want to save the seed and collect them, not just sprinkle them out and see whether they come up, which is kind of fun, but you may not want to do that. We have terrible conditions for that in the southeast. Our humidity is generally too high, and frankly, our rain comes at such odd times that we don't have a nice long period of time for the things to dry. Even if we dry, take them and cut them and hang them upside down outside in a shed, they can still be too humid or too wet. So, if you're trying to save seeds, leave them on the plant as long as you possibly can, even up to and including putting on a piece of a a, a twist tie with a a brown craft bag on the base of it so that if they pop off, they are going to fall into the bag. That's excellent. Sometimes, though, it begins to get, you know, you know it's going to rain and the seeds still haven't come off yet. So you take those with the bags, even with the bags attached to them, cut the stems, hang them upside down in your garage or in your house so that then they can go ahead and dry without actually getting rained on um getting rained on is the hardest part it'll cause them to rot and the next thing you know the seed pod itself will have fungus growing on it and uh, you know maybe the seed're okay maybe they're not but <laughs> maybe they're not is the bigger point <laughs> oh something else going on um in in the the garden getting ready we're we're in the warm part we're going to get a lot more growth this week or so on things like basil um and I'm I'm in the midst of doing this myself I'm literally pushing them to grow so that I can get as many nice, healthy leaves as possible so that I can freeze them for the winter. Now I'm also growing one that I had not grown before that is a big leaf basil that's supposed to grow in containers. I don't know if it's going to grow in a container inside my house, but I have to tell you, it's pretty. (laughs) It's really turned into a lovely plant, so I'm enjoying that. (laughs) That's a lot of fun. There's a Anybody else got this problem? My mustard greens came up all over the place. I really thought I sewed them only in one spot, but now they're everywhere. I don't know. We can think about turnip greens, I guess. Maybe they're, maybe they're doing the same thing. You tell me. Stick around. This is Weekend Gardening.
9: When she stopped
11: does the mississippi farm bureau federation do
12: we are a voluntary non-governmental non-partisan organization seeking solutions to the socio-economic issues impacting mississippi farm families our mission is to elevate agriculture at the local state and national levels when mississippi farmers thrive we all thrive you can bet the farm on it to learn more about the mississippi farm bureau federation
2: visit us online at msfb.org
4: Today on Hey Culligan, sustainability and better water, here's Sam. Hey
7: Culligan, I'm really into sustainability. My clothes, my utensils, my food. But how do I get more sustainability from my water?
4: Super question, Sam, and the answer is an always-on drinking water system from Culligan, which helps eliminate the equivalent of 15 billion single-use plastic bottles a year. Whoa, that's a ton of sustainability. 416,000 tons, Sam, and we're already on the way. Let us help you out with a free in-home water test with the local Culligan water expert at Culligan.com. Family Termite is a proud
2: VIP sponsor of the Handyman Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Whether you're a proud DIYer or a seasoned veteran, Mississippi's handyman Buddy Slowick has the answers to your home improvement questions each Saturday from 10 till noon. In the metro area, the houses
4: talk. Hey Jan, how's it going today?
7: Hey Barney. You're not sold yet? No, my shutters need replacing, my floors need unbuckling, my boudoirs need updating. Well
4: my
12: person called Will White with the price and Will White said, the price was right. No updating, no nothing. I'm sold as of tomorrow. Call Will White. He
4: buys houses 601 401 4323. 601 401 4323. Or online at homebuyersms.com. At Green Home Solutions, we
2: make air better. Indoor air pollution can cause health risks, such as asthma, eye issues, itchy and sore throats, respiratory problems, and skin irritations. Green Home Solutions provides you the indoor air quality you want for your home or business without indoor air pollutions and without the use of harmful chemicals Create a balanced healthy and clean environment with green home solutions we make air better call me owner michael
0: keaton at 601-988-7840 or look for us on facebook
1: To roll to me. Roll me. Ah, yes, I don't sing out loud. I know better than that. But what a great tune. All about it. Fun stuff. Now, welcome in. This is Weekend Gardening. Got a great question about uh, shampoo ginger the things you read on the back of the label, right? Yes, it's a beautiful plant, and yes, if you are in Zone 9, you can grow it. If you're in 8B, you can grow it, or an, even in 8, but you'll have to have a protected environment like a courtyard or something that was protected from the worst of the weather. Beautiful plant, though. Um, all the gingers that that, that I, I do grow the variegated form of that shell ginger, and even in Zone 8, it, it doesn't do really well. The after the first year, but you can protect it and it will do fine. It'll grow. It's just not that great. All right. Rev up your gift lists, my friends. Mm-hmm. It's time to be thinking about forcing Narcissus Bulbs for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for Hanukkah, and for gifts. That's right. We have teacher gifts. right? That's right. We got that to do again this year. Now, there's some things that we always get confused about. We understand that you're going to buy the bulbs, you're going to put them in a gravel bed, and you're going to keep them a little bit wet and in the dark until their sprouts are maybe four inches tall, and then you're going to put them into a a more brightly lit environment, and eventually you're going to bring them in the sun to let them bloom. But here's the big but. When do you do that? Okay, I'm telling you, when I'm speaking to you today, it is October the 9th. You need to go get your narcissus bulbs. If you want them on your table in bloom for Thanksgiving, you need to get them. Because next week is when you need to start them on the 15th of October. That's the literally the first point at which you need to be doing this for Thanksgiving. Otherwise, they'll bloom out before the guests get there, and that's no fun. But if you want them for Christmas, my, my suggestion has always been that the date is a little bit different than other people tell you. I want you to start November the 1st because, again, I want them to be... Opening when people get there on the 23rd, 24th, 25th. And I want them to still be pretty the 26th and the 27th. You don't want them to bloom out before everybody gets there. However, if you're doing teacher gifts, you got to think about six weeks. Six weeks back from the date that you will know them, you know, that you're going to see them is when you need to plant the bulbs. Most of the time, for example, to give a gift to somebody that you want to deliver the second week of December. You're going to push that back a little bit and actually start them on Thanksgiving week because that's going to allow you to be giving a gift that is in bud that is just about to bloom. What could be better than that? Something to think about. Something to think about. Um, those Those are marvelous animal photographs, especially the dog on the couch. That's fun. It is pea soup foggy. Um, John's just beautiful shot and it it is it's pretty dark <laughs> it's pretty foggy I like that <laughs> um let's see this plant uh, looks to be like it looks to me yeah it's a Diefenbachia, and the reason it's leaning one way is because there's not enough light for it and it's leaning towards the only available light so move it about three feet closer to the window that's all you need to do and turn it You know about rotating plants, don't you? When you take a plant, we understand how it works in sunflowers, but every plant that you bring inside your house is going to be interested in how much light there is. And if you leave it the same facing toward the window, many of them will begin to grow that direction. And you won't notice it until the stem is gone all the way to the window and touching the window pane. (laughs) You don't want that. Come in once a week when you're watering and you're fiddling with them. Turn the pot just a little bit so that it can continue to have a straight stalk if it's supposed to. It can make a big difference in your overall joy with the plants. You really can. Um, yeah, everybody's got things that they really do want. To, that we all we need to rotate them around a little bit. I have been all summer long and I should have moved it sooner. But one of my peace lilies, that's the big peace lily that I love so much. This is not the mother plant, but the other the, the second generation or third. Um, beautiful plant has been underneath the sweet olive tree in the front garden because it's perfect shade, lovely light, nice humidity. Well, the sweet olive bloomed, and it was magnificent, and I had just admired it, and I saw new flowers coming up on the peace lily, and everything just looked so sweet, and then it rained really hard. (laughs) So now inside that peace lily is every flower that was in bloom on the sweet olive. There are bazillion little bitty petals, little teeny tiny little things that i got to get out of there. Oh, made more work for myself. Should have taken the plant in a little sooner. Uh, Speaking of taking them in sooner, I will be bringing in the Christmas cactus. I don't want them to be out in another really warm. As long as it's going to be in the 60s at night where you are, it's okay to leave Christmas cactus out. But when it's going to be upper 80s going into 90s, that can be kind of hot on them. You don't want to have to overwater them. So be, be aware of that and take care of them. Lots and lots of people are planting poppies, and I hope you are. You may not know the difference in the poppies, um, but they're fun. There's there we don't grow the we don't grow very well the the golden poppies of California, the Escalitzia that doesn't do so well for us. But the true papavers, the poppies, Shirley poppies, and Oriental poppies, and opium poppies, even and and certainly um, Iceland poppies all do very very well as overwintering annuals. We plant them in the fall and enjoy them in the spring. That's the way it is. Um, uh, b- b- what are these seeds? I can almost tell you. It's a seed pod and he's right. It, 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 that He got them all over him in, 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 and I'm trying to think. I'll think of what the name of the plant is in a minute. I'm sorry, Jeff. I can't think of it, but I'll think of it in a few minutes. One of the things that I'm so tickled that they are putting more and more research into is the actual evolution of photosynthesis. When we began to be able to experience oxygenated photosynthesis is, of course, the thing that fits directly into that growth of plants that we've talked about here, that plants evolved and grew into something, but then they really evolved and grew into something else. So Massachusetts Institute of Technology is working on The estimate of oxygenic photosynthesis, which is what we understand, um, the ability to turn light and water into energy and release oxygen from that first evolved more than three billion years ago. So that's pretty interesting stuff. Again, I don't know. I don't understand algorithms to be able to tell you how that happens, but um, I, I do love that. I'm looking at the video feed, and I see that, are stink bugs a problem? Mississippi State Extension Service offers advice. Well, they could ask me. Yes, stink bugs are a problem. And this year, particularly because we have so many of them, they're trying to get in your house. Usually it's ladybugs that we're talking about vacuuming up out of your house. But this year, it is, in fact, stink bugs. Let's talk to Lawrence. Welcome in, Lawrence. Um, Let's talk about your – what's happening with your plants, sir? Hey, Lawrence.
10: Oh hey! What's going on? I, um, we have a small catalpa tree. I talked to you maybe two years ago about how to get one started, and I had one, I have one six about six feet tall now. Yay! And I, the other day, we invited some neighbor neighborhood children into our yard, and one of them must have stepped on the limb just to see what would happen. The lower limb, and it broke. And took about half of the down to the center of the tree, and about four inches of bark off of this tiny tree that's maybe an inch through. Is there any way I can save the tree?
1: I would get some tree wrap. Um, It's essentially it's a porous paper material, and you probably have you can use gauze that you have in your first aid kit. But I would get that wound bandaged just because we don't want it to get either sunburned or heated. Then I'm going to spray the tree with a combination of some sort of insecticide and a fungicide to try and keep it and see if we can get it to survive this. It may or may not make it. That's a mighty small tree to have that big of an injury. Yeah. And it leads me to the discussion of, what was that kid thinking? <laughs> Stick around if you'd like or we can talk some more. Um, I'm, I'm going to put you on hold. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Well, summer's gone. I don't know how this got in here, but here it is. All right, it's weekend gardening. Come back. we got a long way to go.
12: Hello, Archie Manning here. When you grow up in a town like Drew, you understand once a Mississippian, always a Mississippian. I love this place and care about what happens here. Our doctors are telling us 95% of new hospital patients who have COVID did not get vaccinated. We know the vaccine works, but only if you get it. It's easy and it works. Please get vaccinated, my friends, and stay healthy.
14: Sponsored by Delta Health Alliance. Go to GetYourShotMS.org.
12: Are you a landlord whose renters can't pay due to COVID?
2: Don't evict. Ramp up. RAMP is the Rental Assistance for Mississippians program administered by the Mississippi Home Corporation. If you have tenants who need help paying past due and future rent or utilities, or they're currently renting from you, RAMP may be just what you both need. So don't evict. Learn more at ms-ramp.com and RAMP up now.
0: You're listening to WFMN Flora Jackson Super Talk Mississippi, powered by your tree professionals at Barone's Tree Pros, 601-345-8090. I'm
7: Andy and you're listening to Super Talk Mississippi News. Lawmakers are likely to consider mobile sports betting again in the 2022 session. Jay McDaniel, executive director of the Mississippi Gaming Commission, says sports betting is not a threat to on-site gaming.
9: The smaller
2: properties that Mm. don't have the Caesars or the MGM apps probably feel like, well, people are going to migrate to those and then we'll lose our customers to those. But at the end of the day, when you boil it down, the people that are sports betting, while it is a lot of money, it is a very small fraction of what's happening on
9: that Let's casino go. floor. So it's not going to shut anybody down.
7: And Secretary of State Michael Watson says businesses are taking notice of the state's efforts to cut the red tape.
9: 55,337
4: new businesses have wow. formed in Mississippi already this year. And we just hit October. <laughs> that awesome. surpasses the total number of last year.
7: Watson launched the Tackle the Tape initiative in 2020 to increase economic opportunities in Mississippi. For Talk Mississippi News, I'm Andy Davis.
15: Maybe you love the smell of freshly cut grass. Maybe you love the aroma of steaks on the grill. Steel has the outdoor power equipment to get you there. From the dependable performance of our leaf blowers to the legendary power of our chainsaws. Find your perfect backyard with outdoor power tools starting at just $139.99 real steel. Find yours at over 10,000 local dealers and at steeldealers.com. All prices MSRP available participating dealers while supplies last. Whether you look forward to working on your outdoor space or for what comes after, battery power made by steel has the outdoor tools to get you there. From the reliable power of our chainsaws and mowers to the quiet performance of our blowers and trimmers, enjoy more of the sounds of fall with the AK Homeowner Series of Battery Tools starting at one ninety nine ninety nine. dollars 99 Real Steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. All prices MSRP available participating dealers while supplies last.
7: Growth in ocean and maritime related technologies or the blue economy on Mississippi's Gulf Coast is leading to growth in other areas. Gulfport Mayor Billy Hughes explains the trickle down effect. We're
4: going to have hundreds of new jobs, high tech, high paying jobs that are going to eventually lead to even more people coming in and providing the same type jobs to service these industries that are here or that are on their way and they have to live somewhere, right? They're going to want to shop somewhere. They're going to want to have things to do. And so our beachfront's ready, Fronts ready, Jones Park is going on, and you find this up and down the
7: coast. And during discussion regarding the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, Senator Cindy Hyde Smith called for a greater focus on protecting women in rural areas.
8: By one account, more than 25% of the women in rural settings reside at least 40 miles from the closest service provider, compared to less than 1% in urban areas.
7: Hyde Smith said these women also face unique challenges in coming forward as victims of abuse. I'm Andy Davis.
6: Sports Mississippi, I'm Dixon Williams. This Saturday's football schedule finds Mississippi State taking the week off, getting ready to play Alabama next week in Starkville. Meanwhile, the Ole Miss Rebels are at home this week, to take on the Arkansas Razorbacks, who are coming off a loss to Georgia. Ole Miss coming off a loss to Alabama last week. 11 o'clock kickoff today, 9 o'clock airtime on the Ole Miss Football Network. Other games in the conference Georgia will be at Auburn with the major. Game on the Plains in that one, and Alabama will be at Texas A&M taking on the Aggies. It will be homecoming in Hattiesburg for the USM Golden Eagles. Southern Miss is 1-4, 0-1 oh in Conference USA. They'll take on Texas El Paso, 6 o'clock kickoff at The Rock at M.M. Roberts Stadium in Hattiesburg. UTEP is 4-1 and one and 1-0 one oh in Conference USA, riding a two-game win streak. The Golden Eagles are looking to break a three-game losing skid. This is Supertalk Sports Mississippi.
11: propane gas enhance your outdoor experience this season? When it comes to outdoor grilling, there's no better source than propane, but have you thought about a beautiful outdoor fireplace and lighting fueled by propane as well? The perfect setting, worry-free grilling with propane, a golden propane fire to sit by, and soothing propane lights burning in the background. Impress yourself, friends, and family with propane. Propane, clean American energy. Visit MSPropane.com to learn more.
6: The playoffs are underway in Major League Baseball, and there are several Mississippians on rosters that are teams involved in the Major League playoffs. In the American League Division series is Astros versus the White Sox and the Red Sox versus the Tampa Bay Rays. On the Astros rosters, it'll be Kendall Graven out of Mississippi State. For the White Sox, Lance Land, who started back on Thursday night, along with Billy Hamilton playing center field for the White Sox, Collins, Mississippi native. For the Red Sox, Hunter Renfro out of Mississippi State is the right fielder for the Red Sox. There are no Mississippians on the Tampa Bay Rays roster. Over in the National League Division Series, it is the Brewers versus the Braves and the Dodgers versus the Giants. And Brewers have Brandon Woodruff out of Mississippi State. In fact, he will start Game 2 for the Brewers tonight against the Braves. I'm Dixon Williams, and this is Supertalk Sports Mississippi.
0: Gardening with your host, the empress of everything green, Nellie Neal. Garden Mama's on the radio now to answer your questions and call you.
1: Hello, baby. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome into weekend gardening. I do love it when y'all are kind enough to tell me things I don't know. And I did not know the name of the gallery in Clarksdale where John's Art is showing, but I got to tell you, it is the Foxtrot Gallery. You ought to go. And frankly, I, the one, the bridge picture is my favorite, but they're all good. <laughs> I have, um, I have a great love of any kind of picture that takes you down a road to a destination that you can't quite see. And so, I, I, those there are several of those that are that format. that are just beautiful. But I also love, um, I also love that bridge picture. Let's see. Let's start out with a couple of notes here this morning, okay? First of all, yes, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe to the weekly Garden Mama newsletter, arrives in your email box every Friday, gives you a few tips, a few ideas, my thoughts on some gardening stuff, and also gives you a little bit of a tease about what we're going to talk about in here, in this program. By all means, get in touch with me, Mama on Air at yahoo.com. Mama, in my case, is always spelled M-A-M-A. That's who I am. Mama on air at yahoo.com. Be love to have you join me. And if you do, your subscription will start now, but you won't be asked to subscribe to renew your subscription until a year from December. So in other words, you get many weeks free. <laughs> and that's really great for you. It also helps me get my database into just one renewal time of December instead of right now. I have three of them and it's too much to keep up with. So I'm fixing it. All right. All right. Help me fix that. I appreciate it. I think uh, I think Lawrence's Catawpa, We're probably he's he's probably gone. Is he still there? Okay, let's put him on first and let's see if if I can answer any more of his questions. Hey Lawrence, are you going to be able to wrap that trunk? I I just I didn't
10: quite understand all you said about Okay. You wrap do I get that at a nursery or You
1: something? can get it at a nursery, but if you don't have any any at your house or you don't have any way to get to one, You can certainly use gauze out of your first aid kit for a few days. It's going to rot pretty quickly, but what we're trying to do is to cover that wound so that, first of all, it doesn't get sunburned and dry the tree out. But secondly, so that it doesn't get too many critters taking advantage of its rupture and getting in to cause secondary damage. The problem of it being torn is one problem, but what often happens is that because it's torn, other creatures get in there and they do more damage actually. So, if we can keep that out, that'd be good. If you have an insecticide, fungicide combination of products that you can spray it with, that will help too. But the physical barrier is going to be the biggest thing at this moment just to see whether or not. We, I mean, if the tree collapses, obviously we know it's not going to work. But if the tree can possibly overgrow, start, you know, repairing its bark and get in there, you may be able to save it. It's a young tree, and sometimes they're more resilient than an older one would be.
10: Now, what about, what about this? uh, uh, There's some kind of black stuff that they make for. To when you uh, prune
1: a, a mm-hmm. tree, but, but well, I, if you had some of it, I would say you can try it. But the thing about it is the the pruning paint. My my, my dad had a, a thing of pruning paint, used it all the time, never had any problems with it. But the research since then has told us that it actually seals in more of the bad bugs than it keeps out. <laughs> so it's it kind of I think it depends on the situation. But I wouldn't I would not go in search of that. I would go in search of a more of a wrap that will allow some air to come in but will keep things physically controlled.
10: And and where the bark there's some bark that's loose from the tree down below where it tore, should I cut that
1: I wouldn't cut it. it. I would use it I would also wrap it a little bit to help it encourage it to get stuck back in. Because it can grow back sometimes. You know right. a forester would tell you that's not gonna happen, but I can tell you from gardener experience that sometimes it does. Right.
10: Okay. Well, thank you very much. Now,
1: I'm also going to tell you this: if I was shopping this fall and could find another catalpa tree, I would buy one just in case. Well, I know where to get seeds. I grew this. From well, seed. I, I would w- I would start another one, even if you never need it. I would go ahead and start another one.
10: All right.
1: Okay. Thank you, Lawrence. All you are right. an intrepid man. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. You know, it is true. Where there are, it, it's difficult not to. You don't. You don't want to. You don't want to say that the kids shouldn't have come in the yard, but on the other hand, you wish that they had known better. And and, and we do feel that way about a lot of things, don't we? We just wish that they knew better. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, pretty. That's the Fourth of July mix heirloom flowers. I mean, cornflowers, excuse me, from uh, over at Renee's Garden Seeds. Thank you all very much. Y'all are so kind to do that. Those are pretty. you got two good, really pretty choices. Um, The thing about growing cornflowers or centauria is that in Zone 8, which is where Andrea lives, this is the easiest flower in the world because you literally are going to sow it just like you would sow zinnias in the springtime or the summer. Um, We're not going to bury them too deep. We're going to get them about a quarter inch in the ground at the most. Nice flat surface. Try not to sow them too tightly together because you will have to thin them to be four or five inches apart. And I know from sowing these seeds that they all come up. So give yourself plenty of space for them. Um, and I, I prefer poppies in a in a sowed square or or rectangular or circular shape. I don't like to put them in rows because they tend to need each other's stems to hold them up. They do need to be three or four inches apart, but they still are going to hold each other up better um, with their their stems, whether they're cornflowers or whether they're poppies. It's even more important, of course, with the poppies, because those, those stems are so weak, um, can be so weak. But the cornflowers are going to be beautiful. Now, the thing you need to remember, one of these is bigger than the other. I think it's going to be the 4th J- of July mix, but one of these types is... Um, oh. I've grown Blue Boy and I think it was a, a nice plant but it was probably five inches from plant to plant you can probably get away with five inches from plant to plant but be aware that these are going to be tall um, they're, they're lovely 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 really appreciate that I'm glad you got them I thank you very much that reminds me I need to check on that see what all she's got she's, she always has a nice sale at the end of the season so I have to check on that um, well my goodness that's good looking um, ready for a change of pace. Thank you, John. That's really good. Steve, in, you're in Jackson, I believe. Let's talk about fig trees. What's going on?
16: Oh, hey. Hey. Um, yeah, I've got a couple of fig trees that I planted about um, 12, 13 years ago. They got about 15 feet tall. And, they, they you know, they did really good except so for uh, this past year one totally died
10: mm-hmm.
16: and another one is about dead i mean most of the you know how they branch out i got you know one i guess one trunk that still had leaves on it didn't really produce
1: mm-hmm. had mm-hmm.
16: a few pigs on it but i don't know if, it, if I, it's just a kind of fungus
1: did you uh, get leaf spot what's that did you get leaf spot Wait, what is that well were there spots on the leaves before it died
16: I didn't really
1: look that close. So okay, I, don't it. I got a. I'm I'm in the I'm in Jackson as well, and I had um, one side of my fig tree, which has been there for probably ten years, doing just fine. One side of it just de- died, and I noticed that it had leaf spot on it. They can get it to die back. They, it's very hard to get too much water into the root zone of a fig, but that is possible. It's also possible that wet weather and humidity simply brought us a fungus disease that we hadn't had before. I would suggest, in the case of your tree that's still hanging around, do your pruning in the winter, but don't over prune. Just prune it enough to stimulate some new growth, and let's see if we can't bring it back around for next year.
16: Well, yeah, I was going to cut to all the parts that had died down on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But is there's there's nothing as for any kind of a, I don't know, seven dust or anything put in the ground or you know
10: just. In-
1: no seven dust would be if something was chewing your leaves like a caterpillar it's a it's a pesticide um if you're if you've never fertilized the tree, I would fertilize it, but I wouldn't do that now. I'd do it after you prune it in January
16: okay oh uh, yeah i' never never have pruned it because I mean, it just
1: Mm-hmm.
16: I never thought about Well, and uh, it,
1: it probably overgrew a little bit and just got kind of ahead of itself. You, your roots are probably very much intact, and if you prune it in January and give it some fruit tree fertilizer, I imagine you'll see a recovery.
16: Okay. All right, I'll try that. Good. Thank you right. much. Hey, I, hey yeah. I, really, I really enjoy your show. Uh, I listen to when I get a chance, you not know, very often, but you do uh, get some good advice. So. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate first that. First, that's first, time, first time calling. So. Thank
1: you very, very much. You're why they invented rebroadcast and on-demand and podcasts. <laughs> you can have me anytime you want. Thank you, Steve. Good to hear from you today. I hope those fig trees do well. We can always have, um, y'all. y'all have heard me for a few years probably talk about my fig tree that's so crazy. It puts out two figs no matter what's going on. It's a big tree. And I prune it or I don't prune it. I fertilize it or I don't fertilize it. It's been there for more than a decade. And it puts on two great, big, beautiful figs. (laughs) That's why I leave it there. I've made a decision, y'all. It's next to the berries that are going to be dug up and, and given to the farm folks. I'm going to cut it down. I'm going to cut it down to like only maybe five feet tall. This thing is huge. And see what happens. So I may be rooting figs pretty soon, trying to get one back. But it has been—it's a, a lovely tree. It just needs—it just, just needs something. It's—it's it's like the pomegranate. Okay, you make one fruit in ten years. You're probably not going to keep occupying the space in my house. Not going to happen. I like parrots. I don't want to have one, but when it comes to a pet. Yeah, there's just nothing. I I, I once um, had, had the opportunity to catch a bus to go to work in front of a um, little shop, you know, corner store kind of thing. And they had a parrot in the front window who cursed at people. And it was one of the funniest things that I ever got to see on a regular basis. I never really wanted to have a parrot, but I sure did enjoy visiting that one. Well, might be a good reason for that. Just like having... Children and friends with a whole lot of brains can make for an interesting, shall we say, opportunities to learn new things and to keep ahead. Parrots demand a whole lot more attention when they're smart. That makes sense, but at the same time, you kind of have to think about it a little bit. Um, that this is another University of Guelph, you know we hear from them a lot about unusual <laughs> food diets and stuff. Indeed, naturalistic diets here we go again back from back to nature naturalistic diets are what they're telling us we need to feed these parrots when they're very very smart in intelligent animals can struggle in captivity we know that okay we know that we've seen the loss of feathers we've seen the loss of fur we've seen the problems that develop over time when the animals are not getting what they need and in this particular case the greater intelligence can actually hinder them because it makes them harder to amuse and harder to satisfy with food. Sound like any people we know? Yeah, it probably does. Roughly, this is, but this was the whole reason for this. I did not know that about half of the world's parrots now live in breeding facilities, zoos, or homes. I had no idea. I was sure that there were parrots in the wild if you had asked me. But now we understand why some are at risk while others are fine to a deeper level, and that's because of the way that they're treated, and their intelligence as a corollary. Um, about early 1990s, they did a, a survey. They they studied that one, and it they've studied a couple of different different long term research into parrots because you know they live a long time too. More than thirty thousand birds in the United States, and then they also did an online survey with about 1,400 pet parrots. Actually, they talked to the people. Fifty species of them, okay, around the world, abnormal activity, looking for signs of biting the cage doors, um, chewing their feathers, swaying all the time, irrational, you know, and in a way that doesn't, there's pacing kinds of behaviors that parrots do when they're really stressed. And what they found was, of course, the brain size to body ratio, the housing conditions, the food and the diet. And yes, whether or not we talk back to them, whether or not we are stimulating them intellectually. It sounds so funny to talk about a parrot. All I can think about is the one that used to curse at everybody that came by the door, but she seemed happy. I don't know. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. I don't know. But the smarter the bird, the more we have to pay attention to them. And since we have managed somehow or another to put half of them into captivity, what were we thinking when we started that? I don't know. That's an odd, odd bit of a piece. I have been working in my garden, cutting things back, trying to figure out which perennials need to get divided, what needs to get dug up, what needs to get moved around. And I have come to a really difficult position with one plant. I love Diamond Frost. It's the euphorbia that has real ethereal-looking tiny white flowers on it. You usually see it as a combination pot or spilling out of the side or something. I have it as the biggest plant in a mixed container. For no, there's this is a container that actually got planted sort of on its own. I had a really pretty philodendron that it's a, a variegated philodendron vine. That I was growing, but it was in. It kept getting in too much sun, so I put it down in the bottom of this, in the edge of this pot rather, and then started planting things around it that would shade it, so that I could keep it outside in the summertime. Well, the euphorbia does a beautiful job of that. The diamond frost, and now also in there, I I, I had uh, I had coleus in there. I've had other things in there at different times, but right now it's all mother of thousands. So this is the container plant you don't want. You have a tropical foliage plant. That's the philodendron. It's got to come inside, okay? You've got Mother of Thousands Calancho, which, frankly, can stay outside because it's going to freeze, but its babies are going to survive and come up everywhere that they are. It's an okay house plant, though. It's not great, but it's okay. And then Diamond Frost in the middle of this pot, which is now at least a foot and a half across two feet tall, and quite frankly, a terrible houseplant. So I'm having a dilemma. You've probably got that, too. You look and you think, I planted this. Why did I put these things together? Well, I know why I put them together, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to take them apart. So my plan now is to cut back the diamond frost and bring the plant inside and try and nourish it, nurture it, I should say, so that I can keep the philodendron growing and not kill the diamond frost. As I say, the calanchos, I don't care about. The mother of thousands, is it, it may come up all over the house, it may come up outside, it doesn't really matter, because it's gonna grow. If you've never had that plant, get somebody to give you one. They're fun. A, it's mother of thousands, but some call it mother of millions. <laughs> so when we're along, the outside is a succulent leaf, every little dot on the edge of the leaf becomes a plant. We don't like that in gripeweed, but we love it in calanchos. Ah yes, sunny day, warmer temperatures. Beautiful day to get outside and do something. Ah, we're gardeners. Stick around. This is Weekend Gardening.
13: Your business may not be a Fortune 500 company yet. Hey there! What are you doing today? Would
5: whatever it is be easier with faster, more reliable home internet? If you said yes, we have good news. Viasat offers high-speed satellite internet wherever you live, even if cable providers don't go there. So you can get online today and tomorrow. Go to viasat.com/internet now and save up to one hundred fifty dollars on select home plans. That's viasat.com/internet now. Minimum twenty-four month service term. Service is not available in all areas. See viasat.com for additional terms and conditions.
4: Fox on Tech. Social media is still struggling to control a flood of misinformation, but attempts to slow or stop it may have the opposite effect. USA Today reports on a new study from New York University researchers that found when it blocked or labeled former President Trump's claims of election fraud, the tweets spread anyway, and not just on Twitter, but also Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. In fact, the study found messages blocked from engagement on Twitter received more visibility on other platforms. The researchers say that underscores the network nature of misinformation. Posts or messages banned on one platform may grow on another platform by way of links, quotes, or screenshots. But that it isn't necessarily the so-called Streisand effect, where an attempt to hide information draws more attention to it. The study also questions the social media company's ability to halt misinformation. The study used data from November 1st of 2020 through January 8th of 2021. With Fox on Tech, Brett Larson, Fox News.
0: What decisions are being made by state lawmakers and how will they affect you, your family, and community? If you listen, if you listen, you'll know Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at Supertalk.fl.
3: Hi, I'm Billy Kinder, host of Big Billy Kinder Outdoors here, the show Saturdays at 1, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Turkeys, Whitetail, Grenada Lake Crappie, or Gulfport Redfish. We enjoy it all, especially when you're in camp with us on Super Talk Mississippi. The
15: Dean's List with Janice Dean.
14: An 11-year-old shelter dog finding her forever home makes the Doggy Dean's List. Sally is a pit bull and terrier mix. She's been available for adoption at the always and forever Midwest Animal Sanctuary since 2020. But her luck could be changing now that she's famous. Local animal lovers in Kansas City, Missouri teamed up to get a billboard with Sally's picture on it above a section of Interstate 35 a major highway Scott poor who helped with the billboard campaign says it's been a dream of his for many years to have a billboard that features the animals in Kansas City shelters that have been homeless the longest and according to Sally's profile when Sally is adopted the billboard will go on to promote other in need shelter pets from Kansas City. Scott says in the meantime, he will use his funds from his business to support his animal rescue work. I have a feeling Sally will find a forever home soon. Janice Dean, Fox News.
1: Ah, yes, I can hear all of you. Aye! If you don't know how to do the Texas two-step, trust me, Cajun dancing is pretty close. So if you just learn one, you can do both. You'll be able to dance your way from, oh, I don't know, just just say from Pascagoula to San Antonio. You can literally dance your way across the South with one or two steps. I didn't make that up. Somebody told me that. And then she taught me how to dance. So it was pretty good. (laughs) Welcome into weekend gardening. I hope that whatever you are planting, whatever you're growing, however your lawn is doing, whatever your shrubs and trees have decided to reward you with or not in this particular season and year, I hope that all of it is made better by knowing that everything that you're doing is actually contributing to the betterment of your property as well as your head and your heart. Horticulture and horticulture therapy are two things that we don't, we can almost laugh about because the notion that you want to be outside is so obvious to us in this part of the world. We enjoy being outdoors, but you know, a lot of people who grow up in an urban environment and have absolutely no contact with outside except to have to go get on a bus and go somewhere. I was talking about um, taking urban transportation to work and being able to go and visit the parrot. But that was because I didn't have anywhere else to go that was outdoors at that particular time except to walk down to the bus stop. That really wasn't a bad thing. But I don't think I would be the same person I am if I had had to spend the rest of my life only growing flowers in coffee cans on the fire escape. Fire escape. I did that. Grew tomatoes there too, but I needed—I actually needed a little more space. I think in my own uh, in my own world. Plus, you have things like this. The American Heart Association is always giving us good information. They do studies of things that I think we've needed to look at, and they draw conclusions that are never—well, I should—you never should say never, but hardly ever. Even odd. They just seem logical. And I, I appreciate that. The Journal of the American Heart Association, which is an open access journal of theirs, um, is, is reporting for us, interestingly enough, something that we probably knew already years of exposure to air pollution, standing on that corner waiting for the bus too long, like I could have done, and road traffic noise can actually make you sick or they can increase your cardiovascular issues let's put it that way now I know a lot of people a lot of people look at air look at the air pollution and they measure it and they think it's terrible but they don't ever think about the noise and I do know that road noise as well as any other intrusive noises certainly affect your sleep your ability to think your ability to concentrate and all of these things this particular study involved 22,000, more than 22,000 female nurses in Denmark. They evaluated these women for 20 years and I think if I was in a situation where I knew that they were evaluating me for air pollution and road traffic noise, I'd probably try to have less of either one, but your life doesn't necessarily let you do that. It's the exposure to the small particulate matter in 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 the air pollution, of course, and it really does have an increased risk of difficulty with your heart, especially, yes, if you have been a smoker, um, especially if you already have high blood pressure or tend in that direction. So it's just something to consider when we're building our cities, when we're putting together our plans for things. Maybe we don't have to have all the air pollution in one place. Maybe we don't have to, we, we, we certainly, um, I, will, I will always give all credit to the the first President George Bush for the Clean Air Act because that was one of the things that he was very devoted to. He came from Texas. He understood that clean air was better than dirty air. So that was part of his world. Um, And and I appreciate that very much because he he, he did help us with that. The noise? Well, I'm not so sure. But I do know that when I was growing up, um, after I became a grown up, it was pretty obvious that things were people had earplugs and people had ear, you know, headphones and things that would cancel out noise. But I think there are a lot of people who, frankly, had serious hearing loss in the early years of rock and roll because we didn't really know, you know, you'd you'd leave there and um, I, I worked that world and, and you'd leave and your ears would ring for two days. <laughs> Yeah, guess what? They're selling a whole lot of hearing aids now <laughs> to those of us who were in that world. Uh, now, I was setting up speakers and working right over the top of them doing light shows and stuff, so it's not like I was out in the audience. But I think still some of the people out in the audience also had hearing issues after a time. Yeah, that's right. I was a stagehand, among other things. My mother would say I had a checkered resume, but... That's okay. It got me here to you, and and here is where I want to be. I don't study ants very much. I I don't like them in my house. So I caught the ones we call the sugar ants that get get in the counters and stuff and try and get and uh, try to get into stuff. I don't like them. I particularly don't like fire ants. Uh, I love the city of Mobile, but I don't know that I will ever quite forgive them for being the source of fire ants. And, and I know if you're from Mobile, you're going to argue with me. But the argument is kind of lame because at the time that they were beginning to come into the United States, the only place that had wooden cargo boats or cargo containers at that time from where the fire ants were apparently was Mobile. That's the the history of it. That's the story of it. Um, Yes, I know. nobody, Nobody in Mobile wants to believe that. But it has led us to do some pretty interesting studies. And if you understand that ants are among the best organized of the creatures on this earth, and you read some of the studies that people have, where we've learned about their behaviors and how they do things, you start to wonder, well, when are they going to take over? And, you know, the whole business of leaf cutting ants, it's really good. They're not larger than that. They'd cut down the whole tree. You know, they're, they're, these are tough creatures. The Pacific Northwest National Library Department of Energy has been imaging That's right, imaging in atomic detail, okay, that means pretty much as far down as we can get this thing to look at. We've never looked at ants' tools, and now we understand that their teeth are like scalpels. That's the only thing they can compare it to in terms of their shape, and we couldn't see that, of course, until we could get down to the atomic level. Reporting in scientific reports, um, did you know that ants have teeth? Yes, if you've ever stepped on them, you know that they have. These are mandibular teeth because they're outside of the mouth. Okay, that's, a, that's the way ants are built. You know this. But my goodness, it's, a, it's more than 8% of tooth weight packed with zinc, and the shape of them is such that they make the most serious damage that they can do because it's an ant, and they have to do this. That's how they survive, Right which tells me a lot more about these scars on my arms from the fire ant bites. I think I know more, more about it than I might want to know. The zinc is uniformly distributed in their teeth, and that's not normal. I mean, not, not average. It's a surprise. So they were expecting it to be clustered as it is in other places, but by focusing the ion beam microscope, they took a tiny little sample from the tip of the ant tooth. Can you imagine? You're dating somebody. Well, what do you do for a living? Oh, I examine ant teeth. What? Yes, I do. Did you know they're like scalpels? Okay, come on. Give the nerd a break. This is important research. Be nice. when you uh, You're sitting next to this person in church, and you say, oh, what do you do? And they say, I study ants underground cities. Well, you better show a little interest, because that's a big deal, too. The California Institute of Technology is taking us into the depths of the tunnels. You know, when it's a rabbit? they call it a warren they don't call it that with ants they just call them connell they call them underground colonies or they call them tunnel colonies and in this case my goodness getting underneath this the simplicity of the anthill on top you think it looks odd on top it's really bizarre underground The tunnels literally go to specialized chambers to keep one group of the colony away from the other, particularly the queen and her business. Got to have nurseries, um, got to have farms because they cultivate fungus to eat, you know. And then, of course, they've also got to have a trash system. So the ants are really into it. Um, I had no idea, and frankly, this sort of makes me frightened. They can be 25 feet underground and last for decades, which is why when we begin trying to get the ants out of our homes and out of our gardens, it can be a bit of a face thing to face, believe you me. The question is, And only a scientist would ask this question. Do the ants know what they're doing, or do they dig randomly? Duh, what do you think they found? Oh, well, they found that the ones that dig randomly don't survive, so it's the ones that dig in the fantastic structure department, vast tunnel systems, and frankly, building on the experience of ants previous to them. Sounds real familiar, doesn't it? I'm telling you. I don't know what's on their television, but they're busy. If it's home improvement, they've got a whole lot going on, because they're always trying to make a better place to raise their young, to feed the queen, and frankly, to do what they do, regardless of us. They could care less about us, and that's probably why they've survived so long. Um, I I don't like to think about it, but they may be here when we're not. Who knows? Yes, indeed, I am working on getting a slightly deeper planting space in one I think I'm gonna rework the soil in my earth box I've been thinking about this all week and one thing that got me to it was that it was invaded by ants not fire ants just good old garden variety ants looking for a nice place to live so I took the earth box apart hadn't had anything in it this spring so I took it apart took the dirt out laid the dirt out just about long enough you know, to allow it to, to the, the ants, I, I did treat for the ants, of course, which in my case is simply putting in blood meal and soapy water and running them off somewhere else where I could actually deal with them because I don't want to put any of that, those products into my food. But I got them out of the soil, got the thing put back together. And now, of course, I have to think about what to do next. Well, the obvious thing to do next, because the soil is loose and deep, that would be carrots. Although a friend yesterday said beets, time for beets. So maybe there's, I've got two earth boxes. I may use one for one and one for the other. The problem that it may, that we have with carrots, of course, is that when we purchase carrots, we end up with, we, we buy things that are a foot long in a bag. But we're not necessarily going to grow those. We're going to grow Chantenay. We're going to grow Danvers Half Long. We're going to grow all the ones that are, about four to five inches long at maturity, because that's the carrot that we can grow successfully, frankly, in soils that are heavy as the ones are in the southeast for the most part. It also applies, though, to sandy soils. Carrots love to grow in sandy soil, but if you're trying to grow the very long carrots, they're going to be very, very thin. So it's better to grow a slightly fatter carrot and thin them a little farther apart and let them take, take that sandy soil as well. I am growing turnips. um I don't know. Most people around here really like purple top turnips, and I like their flavor. I, but as far as if you're going to eat a bowl, you know, you're going to make like turnips like you would make mashed potatoes, or as an alternative to mashed potatoes, I have to tell you, try some other varieties. Try the solid white. Try the Tokyo cross. Some of those are they're a sweeter taste, and they roast better, in my opinion. Um, but they don't grow more easily. There's certainly nothing that grows more easily than purple top turnips here in the deep or deeper <laughs> south. <laughs> Did you know? I, um, I I know that there's. An, I realize that we talk a lot about Jurassic Park. I've never seen Jurassic Park. Just just trust me. Okay, trust me on this. I don't need to see it to understand what the story's about. Read the book. Have a very vivid imagination. And yes, I have great appreciation for CGI and all that stuff. But the biggest quote to come out of that lately, that people have been using over and over, of course, is you were so busy figuring out if you could do something, you didn't think about whether you should. (laughs) Okay? And so, for example, in this particular case, They've always wanted to know where snakes come from because some places have them some places don't on the on the earth. They've always wanted to know what killed the dinosaurs. There's a lot of speculation about these things on both ends of of this particular story, you know, some will say it's a catastrophic event, some people would say it was a wasting. There's just different things. But a new study from the University of Bath is kind of pulling all these things together and telling us that all living snakes, now that's a pretty big statement. All of them, all living snakes, came from, evolved from just a little handful of species, just a few species. And here's how we got them. They survived the great asteroid impact that wiped out the dinosaurs and most other living things at the end of the Cretaceous period. We know that happened. We have the fossil record to tell us about that. But nobody has yet confirmed that it was one asteroid. And certainly nobody has told us that that's where the snakes came from. Good heavens. Can this be true? I need somebody else to study this. Lots of collaborators, lots of fossils, genetic differences between modern snakes and they're just fascinated by it. Somehow or another, if we agree that the asteroid wiped out the dinosaurs, we're gonna have to agree that it brought the snakes. I think I'm speaking in poetry. I don't know if I believe any of that. Let me give this some thought. You give it some thought and come right back around again for some more. We'll be here for just a little bit longer today. You might have a question. You might want to weigh in with an opinion, or you might just want to full frog hop on out of here with us. This is Weekend Gardening.
12: Archie Manning here. When you grow up in a town like Drew, you understand once a Mississippian, always a Mississippian. I love this place and care about what happens here. Our doctors are telling us 95% of new hospital patients who have COVID did not get vaccinated. We know the vaccine works, but only if you get it. It's easy and it works. Please get vaccinated, my friends, and stay healthy.
14: Sponsored by Delta Health Alliance. Go to getyourshotms.org.
0: Fox
5: on set. The University of Kentucky is using new technology to get food deliveries to students in a unique way. Hello, I'm a Starship delivery robot. Students aren't the only ones starting the semester. Contactless food delivering robots are too. They were created by the co-founders of Skype and operate in a similar manner to food delivery apps DoorDash and Uber Eats. Students can simply place their order on the app, the robot picks it up from a restaurant, and then brings it right to their door. Dave Haged is a U.S. Launch Specialist for Starship Technologies.
2: We just love to refer to them as just, you know, the bots.
5: The robots use GPS to find their way and can even recover if they hit a bump. Haged adds the bots don't have to worry about the weather.
6: If you want your food in the rain, if you want it in the snow, uh, they'll take care of that for you.
5: Some say the little bots are becoming unofficial mascots for students and that many are taking selfies with them to post on social media. With Fox on Tech, I'm Anna Eliopoulos, Fox News.
11: This is House Call for Health. Updated national guidelines to help fight diabetes, a government advisory group is now recommending earlier screenings for diabetes, beginning at age 35 instead of 40, for overweight and obese Americans and other high-risk groups, including Blacks and Hispanics. The advice from the Preventive Services Task Force stems from rising rates of both obesity and type 2 diabetes, while researchers point to the health benefits of prevention and early treatment. Three out of four U.S. adults are overweight or obese. 18% of adults are known to have diabetes already. One third have been diagnosed with prediabetes. The task force lists a few things that could prevent or delay diabetes in adults with prediabetes, mainly a healthy diet and exercise, and a diabetes drug, metformin, although that drug hasn't been approved for that specific use yet. For more health news, go to Foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, Elisa Brady. Fox News.
1: I could play piano like that, I should have practiced more when I was, well, let's put it this way, I was never good at practicing, played the flute, learned all my parts in drama, made it through college, all these things, but oh my goodness, practice, practice, practice. I, I know you get better and you feel that and you recognize it, and I do know that, I really do, but it's like sewing in, a, a, it's like sewing a, a set-in sleeve. It's one of those things that I know how to do, and no matter how many times I do it, it's still kind of like the first time every time. It's just funny. It's a lot of stuff like that. As we learn things, we learn more things, right? Are you ready to divide your perennials? Gee, I hope so. Um, Here on Weekend Gardening, we try to keep you busy, keep you with things to do and things that, well, frankly, you might want to put off a little time. There are a couple that you need to not put off right now, and that is one that I'm doing at my house, which is finding the windows and finding the windowsills and finding the tables that go under the windows and making a place for the plants. I know it doesn't seem like it's going to be cold anytime soon, but if you have the plants' well-being at heart, you want to move those plants that are going to spend the the winter indoors to the places they're going to be before you have to turn on your heater. Because here's the thing, you wait till that last moment it's been, maybe it's been 50 at night, you know, you bring it into the house and you've got a, a heater on at 60 some odd. The next thing you know, you've overheated the plant and they drop all the leaves. Some of them are going to lose some leaves, but you, you can make it so they lose less by doing this work in advance of the colder weather in advance of turning on your heater and also by taking those things that are in full sun and moving them into about a half sun at this point still outside we're trying to do that transition we're trying to make them easy trying to make it get indoors in good condition without any problems it can be tough um i really do want you to Keep those leaves picked up that fall off. I know that sounds horrible, but I do hope that you will do that. And keep them away from drafts. Keep them away from doors that open and close. Keep them away from heater vents. Now, at my house, this means, because I have good windows, this means I can put plants in front of the windows and add my lights there. But somehow, every summer, there ends up being other stuff. (laughs) there, So I have to go back in and move it out. Remember where all of the really important plants go because i only have a certain amount of light in each one Hmm. interestingly enough if you live in the house for a long period of time you find out that the light changes through the year as the sun moves but you also find which windows are going to be which most accommodating for which plants and frankly this is the time to either find out and remember it or find out if you've never done it before and get them a place to be It's always a good idea to make sure that you are putting plants in groups indoors. That will improve the humidity around each one of them. And it's also very important to realize when things are dry and when things are just almost dry. There's a difference. Most houseplants, most of the things we grow indoors will need much less water than they needed outside because they're not going to be growing as fast. And they're also not going to be growing in as much light or as much humidity they're not going to be taxed okay so make sure and give give yourself that opportunity to take care of those things now okay Um, ken's got a point of view that a lot of people would share (laughs) good on you that's fun we always like people who root for their school that's fun it's very important I have um I have so much too much other news that I want to talk to you about. Can we have another hour? Would that be all right? Um one of the things that I did not know we, we talk about microplastics in the ocean. We talk about finding them in fish. We talk about the the problem with understanding that they do not dissolve, they do not go away and this whole business of of really microscopic problems in our oceans are just getting more and more knowledge uh, as, as time goes by. It's science of the total environment. I wonder who started publishing that. Good grief. University of Plymouth and the Marine Biological Association has been working for two decades to figure out ocean plastics accumulations. And the latest one that they want to tell us about in terms of abundance, you know, we all thought it was hair care products or body washes or something. Paint. Mhm. The material is second only in terms of recorded abundance to the microplastic fibers that we all know about, but this particular bunch of surveys, the sea, each cubic meter of seawater can, ha, contains measurable amounts of paint. This um some of the flakes indeed high levels of of heavy minerals and heavy metals rather in some cases some minerals in others iron and whatnot. But because they are designed to have anti-corrosive properties, it really poses an environmental threat when it gets in the water because it doesn't go anywhere. It's intended to stay on the wall or on the building and not dissolve and not disappear. Well, if rain won't get it, the ocean water is probably not going to get it either. So it's very difficult to understand what to do. And at the same time, because we are always trying to make paints that are more effective at what they do there is somewhere in there there's a balance but we haven't quite found it yet i uh i love elephants i'm a, i'm a babar fan. if you don't know the stories of babar and celeste the elephant family just go get yourself the opportunity to enjoy them um because there's just such gorgeous creatures to to read about in in real life and in fiction, Asian elephants, it turns out, I, I, you know, you always you see a society of elephants in the Babar stories and you wonder who thought of that? Cause elephants don't seem, you know, they don't put on crowns and they don't sit on the furniture. And, I don't think. Well, anyway, Asian elephants actually do like to cooperate with one another. And they do a lot, a lot of stuff. Interestingly, it lasts right up until the food resources are limited which makes me think of tailgating parties. (laughs) The fact that if you're late, there might not be anything left on this table over here, except maybe some of the celery and the dip. You know, there might be some vegetables left, or there might be a wing or two, but there's not going to be a massive amount of food. And in the case of the Asian elephants, they're friendly right up until they're they're not. Um, The way that they tested this, though, was just fascinating to me. They had nine Semi-wild Asian elephants, that is to say that they're in a controlled environment, but they're, they're, uh, they are they're have accessible to humans, but not all the time. So what they worked on was two trays of food. If they pulled the two ropes simultaneously, it took two trunks to do this, they could get the food, and then both elephants would benefit. Well, that worked 80% of the time. Sometimes there was a little freeloading, a little cheating, taking part of the reward after cooperating But more often, there was a little, they moved things around or they sort of banged on each other, had a little bit of aggression to keep things even. However, single food tray, one partner could dominate the reward and leave the other. It still took two to get it down, but it only took one to eat it. Oh, my goodness. Similar results have been found in non-human primates, suggesting that we are not friendly when it comes to food. And like elephants who are generalist browsers, as they talk about their grazers, you know, they talk about um, some, some things are, some, some creatures are hunters, some are gatherers, some are growers. And in the case of the elephants, they're definitely gatherers and they'll gather right up until you don't let them gather anymore and then they'll take it. Okay, so that's pretty interesting stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I like that they work together to keep others from cheating on them, though. I think that's something we all ought to think about. I hope you have a wonderful week. Get some things done in your garden so you'll have plenty to talk about next week with me. And by the way, if you possibly can, be kind to everyone you run into. Take care of yourself, take care of your family, and come back here next week for more weekend gardening.
0: And gardening with the Garden Mama is a production of TeleSouth Communication.
3: Sports is about overcoming obstacles. This is Ernie Johnson Jr. And those are the stories I love to tell in the broadcast booth. But the courage of college athletes is more than matched by another group of young men. The boys fighting Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's the most prolific genetic killer diagnosed in childhood. And there's no cure. But college football coaches are doing something about it. And you can help. It's called coach to Cure MD. Text the word cure to 501501. 501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online at coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501 today. Help college football coaches Cure MD. You'll be proud you did.
0: Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association
4: and Warner Ladder. On film.
8: I'm Mary Corsetti. We are
4: under attack!
8: new details are emerging about the new and fourth installment of The Matrix. Deadline reports that footage and a title were unveiled by Warner Brothers at CinemaCon. The sci-fi film will star Keanu Reeves, Neil Patrick Harris, Carrie Ann Moss, and Jada Pinkett Smith. The Matrix Resurrections will hit theaters December 22nd. And Jason Statham and Miramax are partnering for a third time with The Beekeeper. The Beekeeper is a thriller deeply steeped in the mythology of beekeeping. A September 2022 production start is being eyed in London, and Atlanta. What are you two doing here? <laughs> and an empty promise a couple makes with acquaintances on vacation to see each other in the real world has never been taken more seriously than in Vacation Friends, starring John Cena, Little Rel Howery, Meredith Hagner, and Giovanni Orji. The new comedy is streaming now on Hulu. I'm Mary Corsetti, and that's Fox on Film.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi <laughs> media production.